Wow, that'll get you, won't it? How powerful. How are you guys doing today? What a full service. Did someone forget to set their clocks back? Just wondering. So glad you are here with us this morning. Uh, despite that, it's a full house. We're in this series called Dysfunction Junction, and what we've been talking about is how relationships can really be messy. Isn't that true, right? No perfect families. We don't have any perfect families here, do we? No perfect families. No perfect marriages. Do we have any perfect marriages? I'm just curious. Anybody? Great. You get to come teach today. That's awesome. And uh, no perfect marriages. We are, what we've been talking about is how relationships are just messy. We all have a sin nature. We all struggle with pride. We all struggle with, uh, you know, wanting our own way. And then you factor that in with, with, with this idea that we also are bringing our own baggage in. Uh, from our past and maybe how we saw our parents kind of, you know, do things or maybe grandparents or whatever that was modeled for you that maybe in some cases was not a good model. You've got that. You've, you've got different personalities. You've got different ways of thinking about things. And now you're going to come together and you're going to make a family. You're, men and women, we think so differently. We act differently, right? We think about things in a different kind of way. That is a recipe for dysfunction junction. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, whenever, whenever all those tracks, those train tracks are crossing, that is when you are certainly going to end up in dysfunction junction. One of the things that we say around here, if you're new here to EBC, is we, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We don't have any perfect families. We don't have any perfect people because none of us are perfect. We all have brokenness in our lives. And you know, these things about relationships is that they can be some of the greatest blessings in our life. And I know many of you would say amen to that. Without your relationships, you don't know where you would be, those wonderful people who are in your life. But they also can be some of the biggest stressors in our lives when they are broken. When there's brokenness in those relationships, right? And relationships, we would just say it this way, are just hard, especially the marriage relationship because men and women, we are so incredibly different in our way of thinking about things. So here's what we do as a church. We come this morning and we say this to the Lord. We need help, amen, right? We're just here before God saying we need help. We need Jesus. We need him to help us with this. And I, I don't know about you, but I think most of you would say this. If you're a married person today or you're going to get married, you, you want your relationship to go the distance like these couples, right? So how do we get there? How does that happen in couples like you just saw? So powerful to see them living their lives together. All right, now, before we go any further today, by the way, we're going to go to the book of James so you can start kind of turning in that direction in your Bibles or look on your devices. But before we go any further, there have been some incredible couples who are in this service who have blessed me personally because of their model and example of longevity in their relationship. So I want to, I want to recognize some folks today, okay? So if you have been married for at least 25 years at least, and, and, and so 25 years and up, I want you to stand. Everybody stand, at least 25 years and up, stand up. All right, let's give them a round of applause. Okay, Hope and I just celebrated, y'all keep standing. All right, at least, at least 30 years, okay, at least 30. Starting to whittle down just a little bit here. That's awesome. 35, 35, okay, starting to all right, at least, at least 40 years, at least 40 years. Keep looking around, look at these folks, isn't that awesome? 45 years, at least, four, I feel like an auctioneer right now. I give me 40, 45, right. 45 years, 45 years, at least 45, at least 50, at least 50, 50 years. This is incredible, right? At least 55, at least 55. And we have a winner. All right, Jerry, I'm putting you on the spot. How many years? How many years? 60 plus. Liz, how many years? <laughs> 60 plus, right? 60 plus. Give them another big round of applause. That is incredible. That's so thankful. And let me just say also, my mom and dad were in the last of there too. They're right over there. They just celebrated 50 years this past summer. And I just want to say as a son, how important and impactful that has been for me in my life as a child. 
So think about that, okay? It's, this isn't just about you uh, and your marriage. It's about your legacy and your kids. And, and I just want to thank my mom and dad for that and the Rosses too. That was incredible just to see more than 50 years and just an incredible uh, just model for longevity. longevity. And so I wanted to say this. I'm, I'm sure that in that time of all of those years, 60 plus years, there, were, there was never any conflict, Jerry, right? None. Mom and dad, none, right? I know. I never saw you ever in any way ever have, have any cross words. Okay? Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there was never any problems, never any conflict, never any stressors in your life. And, uh, you, you know, here's just another neat thing. A couple of weeks ago, I actually went to a funeral where, uh, where Mike Fritz, I don't know if Mike's in here today, he may be in the next service, but, but Mike's uh, parents had been married for 70 years. 70 years! Incredible, and I just remember leaving that that day and thinking, I want that. I want, to, I want that to be true, you know, in my own life. So when you're, you're what, what we know is that this is going to take extraordinary, it can't just be based on feelings, right? The way you feel. There has to be something that's deeper than that, which is an extraordinary commitment, is that you live by your commitments, not by your feelings. What Hope and I have discovered over 25 years is that there are some times that we don't even like each other, all right? Especially when we're playing Monopoly, all right? She told me, I don't even like you right now. I might be a little bit competitive, so you can't live by your, your feelings because your feelings are going to be up and down and, and sometimes you won't even be in like, much less feel like you're in love. And so what this has got to be based upon is it has to be based upon what is called a covenant or a vow that is made, which, which by the way, God views that with permanency. God views those vows with grace. What that means is it's not based upon the performance it's not based upon performance, it's based upon a promise. And that's the way that God looks at our salvation, by the way, right? Is that it's based upon his promise to us. He calls us, the church, the bride of Christ. And what did he promise the bride of Christ? He promised this, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And what he is calling us to as his church is he's calling us to that extraordinary kind of commitment that is also based upon grace. He's saying, I want you to love each other with that same kind of love. Yes, uh, one another, whether we're married or not, but especially in the marriage relationship because the marriage relationship is something that is going to point people to Jesus Christ in the manner in which he loved the church. And it's a dying to self kind of love. For, for, for being able to make it those amount of years, there's no telling the extraordinary acts of service and sacrifice that these couples who have modeled this before us have had to go through. So when you approach marriage, though, with this kind of permanency mindset, and that it's, with, it's not a contractual agreement, but with a covenant, a promise that you make, where you're saying, I'm in this. I'm not going anywhere in this. We may be going through a difficult time right now, but I said for better or for what? Worse, I said for richer or for poorer, and maybe we're going through a financial struggle right now. I said in sickness and in health. I said these words before God Almighty. I said, till death do us part. Till death do us part. That is a covenant which takes work. It's a daily renewal, a daily promise that is renewed in your heart every single day, which, by the way, as Randy said a few moments ago, we're going to be having an, an incredible opportunity for, for you to renew those vows if the Lord leads you to do this next Sunday evening at 5 p.m., uh, or excuse me, after the 5 p.m. service, immediately following that, we're going to be having a wedding vow renewal for those couples that are feeling led to just Make that public before our friends and family here at church as well as public before God. And maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage right now. And maybe this is a time where you would say, you know what, it's rough right now, but we're driving a stake in the ground today. And we are committing today before God that I'm not going anywhere. 
that we're going to work through these struggles that we're going through. We're recommitting. We want to go the distance. And by the way, as I said, Hope and I just celebrated 25 years this summer, and we are renewing our vows next week. We're going to do that. Normally, I'm the guy who's doing that for other people. I said, you know what? I, I, I want to be a part of that. And so I asked Randy if he would do this for us next week. He, he doesn't get to do his with Jennifer, all right? I'm just saying. Um, and so this was really selfishly for me. Okay, you can join with us. No, seriously. I, I want to be a part of that. I, I felt like it was a good time for me to publicly kind of declare that again. And so I asked Hope this past week if we could do that. And, and, and she said, no, nah, I'm good. No, but she, no, seriously, she said, you have to know my wife. She's very dry, very dry sense of humor, okay? And then we're going to have a big party afterwards. We're going to have wedding cake. And we're going to celebrate that, and I'm hoping to see a lot of us that will say, we as a church, we are, we are recommitting in this particular area because we want to be healthy in our community. One thing for sure is this, though, that if you are going to go the distance in your relationship, and you're going to, you're going to be able to, to kind of model that before your kids and before your grandkids and before your great-grandkids, then you had better know how to work through some problems, you better know how to, to navigate through conflict, know how to go through even dysfunction because you see our sin nature with our past and our baggage and all that stuff, if it's not, it really can, can lead us into dysfunction junction. We're so different, as I said, as men and women, not just physically, but, our, but with our personality types, the way we think about things and initially opposites attract, Right? I mean, Hope and I are, I, I just don't even have time to tell you how vastly different we are in so many ways. And, and that, that's an attraction oftentimes at first, but then it's said that opposites can then attack, right? If you don't learn how to navigate through some of the difficulties, those, those differences can be great sources of conflict in our marriage if you don't know how to work through that. You can fight about things like this, finances, uh, or in-laws, by the way, I heard this the other day. What's the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Anybody know? Outlaws are wanted. Boom, all right, you can use that. <laughs> so that could be the source of it, or maybe sex, or maybe uh, your work schedule, or sharing housework, or you name it, and maybe you would say, man, we fought about all of that just this week. That was just one week, Mark. So if we don't learn how to walk through our differences rather than walking out whenever it gets hard, because it is going to get hard. Nobody just cruises through this. I thought it was so interesting in that video how all of these couples had different opinions, didn't they, about how they were handling those. It was just incredible to see this. And if we don't learn how to work through these things, then, then many, you know the statistics, and so I won't belabor these today, that many will, will not last. You won't make it in your marriage. Well, the statistics are, are oftentimes over 50% that, that aren't able to go the distance for one reason or another. Or maybe that's not you and you would stay in a marriage, but, but you would be miserable because you haven't learned how to work through some of those things. You haven't grown closer to Christ. And so you're in a marriage that you're, you're a miserable, sour person. You're, you've got commitment and I give you that. But let me just say this, where you're kind of viewing it as the old ball and chain well, I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't view us as the bride of Christ as the old ball and chain, right? But that he loves us and that he wants to be in deep, rich relationship with us. So we've got a purpose in our hearts that if we don't want to end up like so many, so many within our community and, and, and so many within our, our country and just in the world in general, then we've got to be willing to learn to do some things a little differently than the rest of the world because what the world is doing and the way the world views marriage, it's not working. It's, it's, it's not going to last. So James goes countercultural, doing, and he's going to say, you've got to commit to doing things God's way in this. And so he gives us God's word for us. And then he says, but here's a big deal. It's not just hearing it. It's committing to doing the word. It's living the word out. So we purpose this in our hearts. So James chapter one. Now, let me say this before I go any further. Whether you're married or not, by the way, this particular passage, the context is not written specifically for married couples, although it applies to married couples. 
It's written for all folks. And so I, I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you've, you've come in here and you've, had a, or you've been uh, in a failed marriage or a broken marriage. I want to just say very much up front that, that, uh, that, that, that I don't in any way come and condemn that or condemn you or look down upon you. I am teaching today in utter brokenness. It is purely by the grace of God that Hope and I have been able to make it 25 years. It's not based upon anything that I have done. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the circumstances that you have, have experienced in your life. So please, when you hear me talking today and, and you're thinking, oh, great, he's going to talk about marriage. This can't have anything to do with me. Here's one thing that I also know is that as I teach in brokenness today, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Right? No condemnation for those, but we always, all of us who are here today in our brokenness, we always want to seek Christ in him going forward. We always want to ask God to teach us from our past mistakes. We want to learn from those mistakes and from the mistakes of others so our future is enriched and so that we gain wisdom in going forward, not just in the marriage relationship, but in all of our relationships. So our goal this morning for married and singles alike is to grow spiritually closer to Christ, to learn what it means to yield to others and to love others and to listen to others. So here's what I want to encourage you to do right now, no matter what status you're in, married, single, whatever, I would just urge you right now, just in the quietness of your heart, to say, Lord, would you teach me today? You don't even have to bow your heads, right, or close your eyes. But just saying right now, Lord, I need a word from you today. I want to ask you to teach me today. If we're going to go the distance in our marriages or in any healthy relationship, then we have to learn this life skill. This is critical in any relationship. So today, for a few moments, we're going to go to Fight Club for Couples, all right? Now, the first rule of Fight Club for Couples is that we never talk about Fight Club for Couples, okay? All right? Just seeing who watches movies, okay? Movie buffs. Some of you are like, what is he even talking about? No, I'm kidding about that. Exactly, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to talk about it. We need to, we need to talk about, uh, and this goes again for those who aren't married, you can use this skill in your life. This was written for all folks, but how do you have what we'll call a holy fight? How do you have a fight or an argument or how do you do that in a, in a, in a righteous kind of way? Well, the, the Bible through the book of James is gonna give us some principles that you can use starting right now. You can begin to use these. And how do you begin to fight fair? And I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about those emotional skirmishes that we all can get in from one time or another. Well, here's the first thing you do need to know is this, is that conflict is inevitable in marriage. It's inevitable in all relationships, but we certainly want to acknowledge that it's really inevitable in the marriage relationship. We all have disagreements. We all have verbal skirmishes. For those of you who are super religious, intense fellowship, right? That's what you call it. Just curious, how many of you, be honest, you're in church. We just want you to come as you are. How many of you, you might have had a little disagreement this past week? Just raise your hands that, that, that got a little heated. Okay, anybody? Raise them up high. Yeah, okay. How many of you, how many of you, you might, you keep them up. I mean, that's, that's beautiful, all right? Making us all feel better, okay? How many of you, you had one, be honest, how many of you, you had one on your way to church this morning? Raise your hands, all right? That could be brutal, right? Just trying to get to church, especially when you didn't get the extra hour of sleep, right? Nobody, you bunch of liars. I know somebody fought on the way to church, right, okay? Hope and I used to fight sometimes on the way to church, and I was getting ready to preach. We stopped taking the same car to church, right? We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Having multiple services saved our, my marriage, okay? All right? Uh, and, and so sometimes you, could, you can have a, a, a good, you know, a doozy of an argument on the way to church. But here's the thing. I mean, sometimes we can't even remember why we fight. It's normal. Even good, healthy marriages have some skirmishes from time to time. Uh, all people kind of go through that. The Apostle Paul would get in conflict with people. Peter would get in conflict with people because we're all broken, right? In fact, Paul and Peter had a disagreement about something. If you know anything about them, it happens. And, and sometimes our spouse can just say something to us to send us into orbit, right? 
Sometimes more so than anybody else, they can just, they know the button to push, they know the thing to say, right? And, and, and it might not even bother us so much if somebody else said this. And we all go through it, as I've acknowledged that my family is far from perfect and we're, we have some dysfunction in our family as well. Pastors and their wives can, can have arguments and fights and, and, uh, and we say some bad things. In fact, Hope and I, I shared with you a few weeks ago, we had a, we had a good argument that, that, that I, we don't even know where that thing came from, right? But it just kind of, we weren't looking for it, it just kind of showed up. And we all go through it. In fact, I was thinking back on some of, some of our multiple intense fellowship meetings that we've had. And um, we got into a fight on our honeymoon, all right? We got into a fight on our honeymoon. That was so wise of me, let me just say, okay? Dr. Love is in the house, okay? And we got into a fight on our honeymoon. We, we, were, we were very young when we got married. We had no idea how to fight. I had never even really seen her mad, okay? Now, as, as, as we were probably two or three months into our marriage, we didn't really know how to fight. I'd never really seen her mad, and I said something to her. We can't even remember what it was that sent her into orbit. I made this woman so angry, right? We, she can't even remember what it was, and I can't either. All I know is that I made her so angry with something that I said, okay, and, and, uh, and, and I'm like, what did I say? But here is what, here's where it got bad. When she got really angry, her face changed, and then I laughed, okay? Yeah, that was not good. I laughed because she looked so cute, so angry. And, and, and the next thing you know, and here was the bad thing, she had a shoe in her hand at that moment, all right? And so the next thing you know, there's a shoe flying at my head, all right? At, 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 at Nolan Ryan fastball speed. She turned into this shoe ninja at this point, okay? And, and, and I'm going matrix at this point, as the shoe goes by like the bullets, right? All right, she's throwing a, a, a shoe at me. And, and I mean, I, I'm just gonna say right now, if you know Hope, you have got to be a jerk, right? To get that sweet woman to throw a shoe at you. By the way, she's never done that since. We were 21 years old at the time, very, uh, very immature, and, and again, just very new in relationship, new in marriage. But I remember thinking after that, I remember thinking, I'm gonna have to learn how to fight fair with this woman, or I'm, a, I'm gonna have to get quicker, okay? Because she has got, I'm gonna have to get some cat-like reflexes, because now, though, here's what's scary. She is a black belt in karate, okay? So she could kick my face off if she wanted to. She also knows love and logic, okay, which I've shared with you about that. And so she's like this, she's like this Jedi master now, okay, where she can kind of get me to do whatever she wants. And by the way, if there are any of her fourth grade students at Eagle Mountain Elementary that are here today, you need to know it was all Pastor Bart. It was not her. Bad, bad Pastor Bart. She's a wonderful woman. Guys, what I'm trying to say is we all fight. I don't care who you are, you're going to have conflict. It's inevitable. There are no perfect marriages. In fact, I get a little suspicious of those who, who say that, well, we never have had a fight. And I'm thinking you're in denial. You would probably feel better if you went out and keyed his car today, okay? You would feel better internally. So we need to accept that we're going to fight. And so couples that last, just very quickly, write this down. Couples that last, first they learn how to fight fair. And we're going to talk about that. Then they need to learn how to fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples want to fight for victory. And that's when dysfunction pulls into town. To win the argument, I'll, I'm right and I'll show you why I'm right. And, and that's, that's rough when someone who is competitive like me uh, that gets in that kind of conflict, then you just want to win, right? But healthy couples learn to fight for resolution, not for victory. And here's the next thing. Healthy couples will fight for their marriage. They will fight for their marriage. Unhealthy couples never learn to, how to fight in their marriage and they just fight purely out of self-preservation and they go into this, this mode about who is going to be right. And, and God gave us his, his word in the book of James and, and he says, if you'll do what I say here, if you'll do this, it's gonna, it's gonna be an incredible game changer for your life and for your marriage. 
James, remember, as many scholars thought, was the half-brother of Jesus. And so James was working with a group of believers who were going through hardships in their life on the outside. Many of them were being persecuted. Many of them were going through difficulties. And when the hardships are going on in the outside, it's very easy for that to impact the relationships that are going on underneath the roof, Right? And so James is going to talk about this outside stress and how it can begin to, to impact our relationships. And, and I know this, I know that in a room this size with this many people that some of you are going through some very difficult things right now. And it is impacting your relationships. And some of you are barely hanging on. And, and, and maybe today you, would be something that God would give you today to help you drive that stake in the ground to say, we're going to work through this. We're going to get through this together with the help of and the grace of Christ. So we need to be aware of those outside stressors. So here's what James says, chapter 1, starting in verse 19. He's going to say, after talking about all these struggles that they're going on on the outside, he's going to say this, understand this. What he means is pay close attention. Pay, pay close attention to this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, so they're believers, okay, who are in conflict with one another. That's what we're trying to say is it doesn't matter who you are. Even Christians, we have lots of struggles with each other. You must all, that's a key word, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So there are three great points right there from God's inspired word on how to fight fair with one another. And let's just break those down a little bit. And now he's going to give us the reason why this is so important for us to heed this wisdom. And he's going to go on and say this in verse 20, because human anger, which can happen in those relationships, that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's not going to point anyone to Jesus. Your relationship is not going to point your kids to Jesus. If, all, if you're angry all the time and fighting all the time and you're sour all the time, he said it's not going to point any, it's not going to produce this righteousness that God desires out of your life and out of your marriage relationship. So he says this, so get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that's what he's giving us today, that God has planted in your hearts. What you're saying is, God, I want to begin to do things your way. I want to start looking at things your way, God. Your way is better than my way. Our way is not working. That's why our relationship is so strained. And then he goes on, the, the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. This word is, is not just the word for soul, but it's the word, it actually sometimes translates a little bit, your lives. This could actually save your lives, your, your marriage, save your relationships. That's what he's saying here. But then he says, don't just listen to God's word, which is what we can so often do when we come to church is we just listen, but we don't ever do anything about it. He says, don't just listen to it. You must do what it says Otherwise, he says, you're just fooling yourself. Otherwise, you're just walking out, you're fooling yourself. He's saying you're not going to experience the benefits of life that can change uh, your life by, by just hearing, your, hearing this stuff. This could change your life. This could change your marriage. Your relationship could actually change if you said today, I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to step out and do what he says here. Right? And, and when you don't, that's when the dysfunction begins to dominate in our family but he's saying, but you can be transformed by the power of Christ. There is hope for all of us through the power of Jesus. James is saying, don't let the simplicity of these rules for fighting fair pass you by. Now, notice this, that James does not say to avoid conflict. Because that would be dysfunctional too, right? To just never engage in it. He's not saying that. He's not saying just sweep it under the rug. He's just saying this is how to handle it whenever it does come your way. I kind of view it this way, okay? It's, it's, like, it's like in an MMA match or a boxing match where, where the, the people who are about to engage in, in conflict are standing there and the referee is saying, I want a clean fight. I want you to do it this way, all right? Now touch gloves and now have at it, okay? Now we're not talking about physical here, but in the, but in the emotional sense. I want you to have at it, but, but do it in the right kind of way. So James gives us some ground rules for a fair fight. If you're taking notes, here's some great things to write down. Number one, we wanna seek to understand before seeking to being understood. 
You want to seek to understand what's going on with the other person before you feel like you have to be understood, all right? Where you've got to get off your chest what you want to say first. James is saying wisdom says to slow down and let's understand what's going on with that person first. That's where he says, be quick to listen. Everyone, he said, every one of you, all of you, that means what it means there or what it, what, what it says. It means every one of us, married, singles alike. He says, wisdom says, be quick to try to understand what's going on with that person. The implication is that for most of us, this is not our MO. For most of us, the way we typically function is whenever we begin a conflict is we're gonna get off of our chest exactly what we want them to know. We're gonna get our point across. I'm gonna put them in their place. And so we oftentimes can be quick to verbally strike. And we're gonna strike them first and, and kind of put them down and, and our, or our impulse is to defend or to protect our position. And that's what our sinful nature and our self-preservation mode will seek to do. And James is saying, but you are a new creation in Christ now. What he's saying is, Christian, we're different. We need to slow down. We need to listen to people. We need to learn to die to self daily. We need to recognize that that's already happened in Jesus. We don't do things the way the world does it, right? Because that's how the world does it. Strike first and say what you need to say. James is saying, no, you need to listen. You need to seek to, you need to, seek to understand. Because if you don't, you're most likely going to end up divorced and in a, in a, in a failed relationship. Or you're going to be extremely miserable in that marriage relationship. He's saying, seek to understand before you have to be understood. Listening is one of the biggest things. James starts with this because he knows that here's how listening translates to the other person. I value you. I love you. What you have to say matters to me. I want to be sure that I'm getting this straight and how you're feeling about this, right? And, and the problem in most of our relationships is that we talk too much, we feel like we have to say so much and we talk too much and we listen so little. I just want to ask you this. How would you rate yourself as a listener? On a scale of one to five, with five being you are awesome at this, just, just today just go, where am I at on this? Now what would be interesting would be to ask, how would your, how would your spouse rate you? I won't do that, Okay. <laughs> But, but seriously, think about that. Are you a good listener? We have this pond that is behind our house, and in the summer months, the bullfrogs just are going to town. And at first, it's kind of funny, but then they just never stop. They never shut up, and it is annoying, okay? It gets very annoying. Why well, I, I found this out that bullfrogs, I didn't know this, but when they croak, they have a muscle that cancels out their frequency to that frequency of their croaking to their brain so they can't even hear how obnoxious they are, okay? All right? And some of us are just like that bullfrog when we're talking and talking and talking and the person who is talking to us is like the Charlie Brown teacher, and you're not hearing anything that is being said because, and what James is saying is, I mean, this is just a blunt way to put it, Shut your mouth for a little bit. Just slow down. Someone just said amen, all right? I, I don't know who said that. Amen, all right? And, and, and he's saying, but oftentimes, and, and I, I, the reason I know this is because I know myself, while that person is talking, you're hearing, but there's a difference in hearing and listening. Amen? What do we typically do? This is what I do and I can do, I'm working on this, I can be thinking about how I'm going to refute them and what I'm going to say next, and I never hear what they're really saying. Does anybody else do that? Okay. And what James is saying is he's saying, slow down. Look at what Proverbs says. Solomon writes this. Fools have no interest in understanding. I mean, Solomon just says, that's foolish. You're a fool. If you won't seek to understand, they only want to air their own opinions. Strike first. 
He's saying that's a foolish thing to do. The person who won't listen, who just wants to win, who just wants to be victorious in the argument. And I'm not proud about this, and I've expressed this to you before, but I, I have been in the past an arguer deluxe, and it's not a godly characteristic that I'm happy about in my life. It's something God is really working on in my life because there have been times where I, I, I almost kind of thrive when we argue a little bit. Right? And, and, and the, maybe the reason I've been good at it is because when I'm doing yard work, I'm having that imaginary conversation with that person and I'm rolling my neck and I'm saying, what, does anybody else do that? All right, do y'all do that too? Or I'm saying, and I can't quit thinking about it, right? Yeah, we need some counseling. I'm just saying, all right? Bobbing my head and all this. But hope has called that, and I've shared it with you, lawyer mode. For me, I can be easily move into not listening, but here's what I move into, prosecuting my case or defending my case and, 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 and parsing every word she said. And she's like, you're not listening to me. It's foolish. It's just hearing. It's not listening and, and, and just trying to win. And we think we won. And if you've heard me say this a million times here, you're by yourself going, ha, I won. But here's the thing. You're by yourself, okay? And you're going to be if that's how you keep doing this. So here's some practical advice from marriage counselors, okay? I want to give these to you really quick. And if you can't, I don't know if you'll be able to write these down, but maybe we can put them up on our website for you to come back. But this is from good marriage counselors who have said how to listen in conflict. If you want to get better, now here's what you need to do. You need to pick at least one of these and say, how could I get better at one? Don't try to do them all. Just pick one this week that God is going to quicken your heart about right now. Some may be helpful and others maybe you're doing great at. Number one, stop what you're doing and give them undivided attention. Stop everything, all right? Here's a very important thing. Resist distractions. For those of us who struggle with ADD, this is going to be a struggle, but uh, cell phone, put it down. Facebook, put it away. TV, cowboys are playing. DVR, okay? All right, three words that can save your marriage. DVR, okay? Right there. Concentrate on what he or she's saying, paying extra attention. Now, I said this a few weeks ago, to their heart feelings and their emotions. And concentrate on their emotions. Concentrate on the heart. Watch for nonverbal cues and body language, which is a big part of this. Use encouraging and reassuring gestures and body language, all right? Here is a big one for me. This is the one I would star. Resist Thinking about your reply or rebuttal while they are speaking. That's the one I would have to star. Here's one for some of you. Let him or her finish talking before you respond. Let them say what they need to say. Here's another one. When they're finished, repeat back to them what you heard and your understanding. This is important. Not just what you heard. Their understanding of how they're feeling. How they're actually feeling in this. Remember, feelings aren't wrong. We said that a couple of weeks ago. Don't view them as your opponent. You gotta start viewing them as your partner. So often we go into, into viewing that person as, as we're in opposition as an opponent. And when you listen, you're validating them. You're validating their feelings and it's saying you care more about them than you do about winning the argument. You care more about that person. This is what it means to die to self. To die to self. Now I know some of you are thinking this. I can't do that. I cannot do this. We, you know, and here's the deal. We are, we are going to have to learn to ask God to help us be le better listeners. You're probably right. You can't do it on your own. But you can do it through the power of Christ in your life, coming alongside you, walking with you through this. And he's not even saying you have to agree. James isn't saying you have to take on their viewpoint. He's just saying you'll do well and you'll be wise when you first seek to understand before being understood. So rate yourself there. How am I doing on this one? All right, here's the next thing. If you want to go the distance... He says, and I've got to slow down, slow down before I speak. James is going counterintuitive here because for many of us, that's the first thing we want to do is we want to speak. We want to say something. We're normally quick to speak and we're normally slow to listen. And James is saying, flip this. Flip this around in your relationships. But before we do this, we're going to have to come to understand the power of our words. We'll talk more about that next week. The words that we say actually have power of life and death. 
They could be the power of life or death in your marriage, the power of life or death in your relationships as a parent. Your words are powerful. They're either killing the intimacy of your relationships or they can bring life to them. And James says, slow down, be careful with what you say because you're not going to get those things back. Solomon is going to say this in Proverbs chapter 21, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, he says. And I love this part, and you will stay out of trouble. How many of you, you could use that this week? That's a good one, right? James and Solomon says, watch your mouth, keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 17 says, a truly wise person uses few words. We could say today, tweets very, uh, very rarely, okay, all right? A wise person uses few words. A person with understanding, there's that word, is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent, You might even fake somebody out, and they think you're smart. He says, be quick to listen. Use your words cautiously. Guard your words. How do I know if I'm guarding my words, or how do I begin to do this? Here's two questions to ask. Number one, should it be said? That's a a big question. All right, so should it be said? Well, here's what you do. You stop and you think. What is, I'm slowing down in my speech, and here's what I'm asking. Is what I'm about to say thoughtful? Is it helpful? Is it, is it inspiring? Here's a big one. Is it necessary? And here's a big one. Is it kind? You're stopping and you're thinking. And he, what James and Solomon are both saying is that if you'll do this, you will save yourself a lot of trouble. You might even save your marriage. Here's another big one. Should it be said now? Because sometimes it needs to be said, but it may just be your timing is way off. And you just need to think it through. You, need to, you might need, you feel yourself getting really angry in that moment. There is nothing wrong with saying, I need to step back for a moment. I, I need to just be quiet for a moment. I need to pray for a moment. I need to seek the Lord in this because I don't want to, I know the power of my words. I don't want to do damage. And, and, the, and you're going to have to resist that temptation to engage. Uh, it, it, should it be said right now? Or maybe it's you're really angry and they're getting ready to go on their way out the door to work and you just engage them at that moment. That's not the moment. Let's just have a conversation a little later on. And so then you fire off a text or you shoot an email to somebody or whatever. How many of you have done that and you're like, after you hit sin, you're like, why did I do that? Can I just encourage you? Don't fight by text. Don't fight by email. Some of the biggest blunders I have made in relationships has been through that kind of manner, has been through texting or through that kind of, or social media or whatever. Paul is saying, just, or excuse me, James is saying, just slow down, slow down, think it through. Here's just some practical suggestions. Again, Christian counselors have given, all right, and I want to give them to you. Don't call names. Well, you're such a lousy father. Well, you're just a nag, all right? That's not helping anything. All right, that's not helping in any way. Never call names. James said to stop it. Paul says stop this as well. Look at what Ephesians says, 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything, do we have that scripture? I think we have that one. Do we not have that one? Okay, all right, let me read it to you then. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So slow down. Don't call names. Paul says, I'll just put it this way. Stop being verbally abusive. There's some who may be in here that you're just verbally abusive. And here's what Paul and James are saying. Stop. Repent from that. Your words are leaving a wake of destruction in your relationships. And he's saying, It could be happening with your spouse. It could be happening with your kids. He's saying, you need Jesus to help you with this. I want you to think about this. One time, Hope and I had a very, I said some horrible things to her, okay, in the heat of the moment. And and the Lord convicted me with this. And I, I pray that he'll convict you in the same manner if you've done this. We've all said things that we regret. This is what he said to me. He said, I would never speak to you that way. Why do you think it's okay to speak to her that way? Remember, we're the bride of Christ. Whoa. And I was was convicted. 
I, he said, I would never, I never talk to you that way. I'm patient with you. I'm long-suffering with you. I'm not harsh with you. Why do you think it's okay to talk to that other person that way? James would go on and say, we'll look at it next week. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this is, this is not how it should be. He's saying out of, the, out, of the, out of the same mouth should come blessing, not the cursing for another person as well. Here's another, just quick things. Watch your tone and vocal level. Does that resonate with anybody? Those are, some of us are loud talkers, right? My wife is not a loud talker. This one's hard for me. I've noticed when I'm raising my voice with her, I've noticed that she shuts down at that. And, and, and it's not productive. Tone is important. It's like when two kids are fighting, right? And, and you, you make them say sorry, and one of them goes, sorry, right? Tone, they're real sorry, right? Tone matters, right? Tone matters. Here's another thing for you. Don't get historical, I'm not talking about hysterical, historical, okay? I remember what you did in 1989, right? And I'm trumping that with this. Not only am I mad about you right now, but what you did in 89, I'm bringing it up. By the way, think again how Jesus is with us. Don't use phrases, you never or you always. These are just gross generalizations. You're not helping your argument. Nobody is consistent enough to always do something or to never do something. No one's bad enough to never do something. Here's a big one. Don't threaten divorce. Don't threaten divorce. Nothing is more destructive. I'm calling the lawyer. If you don't do this, you just broke down any possibility of positively solving that problem. So don't, don't threaten divorce. Remember, you're throwing that D word out there. You're in this for life. You're going to work through this. Your marriage is not just purely for your happiness. We've said it a million times. It's about your holiness. That God wants to use that in your life. He uses the marriage relationship to make you, both of you, more like Jesus because you're going to have to learn to die to self. And that makes us more like Jesus. And here is perhaps the most important one for you today. Don't ever, ever, ever quote your pastor, all right? Don't you bring me into that mess. I'm just saying that right now. Do not bring me into your mess, all right? Well, Pastor Bart said, Pastor Randy said this. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff I've been pulled into, all right? So don't use me. All right, here's the third thing. If I'm going to go the distance, I'm going to subdue my anger, I'm going to subdue my anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We know that anger in and of itself is not sinful. Okay, it's an emotion. But the problem for many of us is that we do not manage it. It manages us. And then we get out of control. And he's saying, and what he's saying is if you will be quick to listen, you'll be slow to speak, then this next one will come a little easier because you've actually understood maybe a little better. You may not agree, but you've understood. And with God's help, through the power of his spirit, I can manage this emotion instead of it managing me. I can bring it under the submission of the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, so I slow it down. I don't have to completely suppress it because that would be dysfunctional and unhealthy as well. But I need to bring it under submission of the Holy Spirit. So James says, be slow to get angry. And that, again, is being just like God is with us. It says he's slow to anger. James says the human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. When our anger is out of control, it produces sin. It produces, it, that can destroy relationships. When it's out of control, it leaves a wake of destruction. He's saying, he's saying if you will do these things then your relationships could be so much better. The righteousness that God desires is that we reflect Jesus to the people around us. And if we are fighting all the time and we can't work through conflict and we're sour and we're, you know, we're miserable and all this, then we're not going to be reflecting Christ to our community, are we? Our kids are not going to see what it means to really follow Jesus. They're going to wonder, does he really make a difference in your life? Why do I need him in my life? James 1.21, and here's the last thing. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. It has the power to save your relationships. But don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. So the fourth and final thing is, I'm going to submit to God's word and the Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to submit. What does God say about this? How does God say to, to, to handle this? James is saying God has already planted his seed of his word in your heart, but it takes, it takes root in the soil of a humble heart. You've heard it. You've heard all these things before. How's your humility? See, this whole series, what I've noticed is that the whole series is that if humility were a bigger part of our lives, the dysfunction junction would kind of begin to dissipate some. But for many of us, pride is ruining our relationships. I want to just invite you to pray with me at this moment, if we could just pray together. The bottom line is, when we have conflict, and some of you are in conflict in your relationships right now, what the Lord would lead you to do is, is that we are, as we are in this conflict, we are to deal with that other person, your spouse, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a child, a brother, a sister, someone in your family, that we're to deal with that person in the same manner in which Christ deals with us. So let's think about how he is with us. He is attentive to us and listens to us. He's slow to anger. He's not abusive in his words. He's gracious. He will confront us when we need it, but he doesn't live in our past. Think about Jesus here. He sees the best in us. Jesus is about restoration. He's about reconciliation in our lives. He's not about beating us down. And here's the deal. He could win every time. But that's not his objective, is it? His objective is to bring peace into the relationship and into our lives. So which one of these does God want you to work on today? Do you need to seek forgiveness from your spouse? Maybe you've hurt them with your words this week. Would you submit to his word and to the spirit today? Say, Lord, I will do that. I will humble myself. Do you need to do a better job of listening? Pick one of those points out this week and just go to work on that. Are you a rager? When you fight with your loved ones, are you leaving a trail of destruction behind you? The Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention today. God wants to change this in your life because he loves you. He loves your family. He loves your spouse. He loves your kids. So maybe what you would need to do today is just come to him in humility. Remember what we said last week? He said, if you will come to me, come near to me, he says, I will come near to you. Maybe for some of you, you realize it would be a good thing for us to renew our wedding vows. Maybe that would be your action point. God wants every person here, every person here to do something with his word, whether you're married or not. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Maybe you've never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you would just at this moment say, Lord Jesus, I realize how you are with me and that you love me and you're gracious with me. I want to invite you to come into my life and to be my Savior. I believe in you, Jesus. Just make that your prayer to him today. I believe in you that you are the Savior, and I am a sinner, and I need a Savior today. Lord Jesus, be my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you've been raised from the dead. Lord, I need your power of your Holy Spirit in my life. So I invite you, Jesus, to save me. Lord, thank you for your word today. I want to just... Bring our relationships before you today. And Father, would you give us wisdom to not just hear your word today, but to do what it says. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we, we sing back to the Lord. I want you to think about how he loves you today. In the manner in which he loves you would you say in the song we're about to sing, God, would you give me the power to love the people around me in that manner? Let's just lift our voices to him today.